Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. We have been going through the book of Acts for the past 18 months. January of 2020 was when we started. And I think it's been good. I think Acts has been good for us. I think Acts has been good for the time that we're in culture we're experiencing. I think Acts has been good for our church. What we're going to see this morning is the topic of discipleship. The title of my message this morning is Christ-Centered Discipleship. And we're going to encounter a guy in this morning's text. And he's going to show us through some characteristics of what a true disciple should look like. So Acts chapter 18, verse 24. If you're there, say word. Word. If you're not there, say hold up. Good. Go ahead and stand with me in the reading, in the honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to look at just verses 24 through 28. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would add a blessing upon your word this morning and use me as you see fit. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we left Paul last week, he's headed into Ephesus, into his third missionary journey. But here, Luke, the author of Acts, decides to put a commercial in here looking at Apollos, who is in Ephesus at this time. So Paul has just left Ephesus. He went to Antioch and he's now headed back to Ephesus. And now we see Apollos is already there. Priscilla and Aquila are there. We, we met them last week. They're friends of Paul's. They're tent makers. And Apollos is here and he's teaching. Now, Apollos is from Alexandria. And from one of my commentaries, it stated that Alexandria was where the Old Testament was translated into Greek. So a little biblical history for you. Old Testament was written in Hebrew. In Alexandria, it was translated into Greek and it was made into what's known as the Septuagint. And so we see here that Apollos has grown up in an area in which the word of God is being translated and taught. And he's even been instructed there as we see through this text in the ways of the Lord. We see here that Apollos is a man who has a love for the word and a love for the Lord. But we're all, what we're also going to see in this text is that he doesn't have all the answers. Anybody in here have all the answers? Good. 
Because I don't either. Apollos doesn't. And what we see here in this text is Apollos is approached by Priscilla and Aquila to be taught some things. We see that he has a desire to grow in Christ and in his word. We see a desire in, a, in, in Apollos to know Christ more. In church, isn't that what we're called to do? To be disciples who make disciples? Matthew 28, 19, the great commission that Christ gave us before he ascended to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what we are called to do. That's our mission. Everything we do is for the sake of the gospel. So how do we as a church be disciples who make disciples? Here's the main idea I want to get across to you this morning. It's on the screen. It says this. Only disciples growing in Christ, who grow in Christ, can strengthen other disciples to do the same. Only disciples who grow in Christ can strengthen other disciples to do the same. How are we to be disciples who make disciples? We are to be disciples who are growing in God's word, in who Christ is, so that we can strengthen other believers to do the same. We're called, we're all called to do this, church. I'm not, the pro, I'm not the only disciple maker in this church. I'm not supposed to be. As your pastor, I'm to equip you to make disciples. I'm to equip you to equip others. I'm to strengthen you to strengthen others. And we see that here in Apollos, that he wants to be a disciple who makes disciples. So I've got four characteristics for you this morning of a disciple growing in Christ. Four characteristics. They are a desire for the word, a spiritual fervor, a teachable heart, and a powerful conviction. I'm going to break it down. You don't, uh, you're probably like, I didn't get it. We're going to walk through it. So here's the first characteristic we see. First, a desire for the word. A desire for the word. Look at verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. Now, the ESV says competent in the scriptures. That's what we use here. But I like what the, the New American Standard Version has and probably the New King James. I didn't see what the, what the New King James said, but it says mighty in the scriptures. I like that word mighty better than competent. The Greek word for that there means, it's where we get our word dynamite from. It means powerful, mighty. That's what that means. And, and, and Apollos is a man who is mighty in the scriptures. He's been taught faithfully the Old Testament scriptures here. We see that in verse 25. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He's been taught through scripture, instructed through scripture, who God is, who the Messiah is. He, he knows how to use the scripture. He knows how to apply the scripture. He knows how to point to Christ with them, how to reason strongly through them. He knows the word of God that has been made available to them. So if we want to be a disciple who encourages other disciples, we must have a desire for the word of God. Now this desire 
is a desire that's put into action. Last week, man, I had a craving for Mexican food. It happens every week. You could ask my wife. I love Mexican food. The El Vaquero in right across the street from Walmart, in my opinion, y'all can fight me. I think they got the best chips. They cover them in salt. Like my wedding band can't even come off after I'm done eating those chips. But the problem with my desire for Mexican food last week is I did not make it a reality by going to go get Mexican food. And I'm sad about that this morning. And I'm going to have to make it up this week by going twice to the Mexican restaurant. But with this desire for the word that a disciple has, it's a desire that we put into action. We can't just say, I have a desire for the word. That desire is evident by the time we spend in the word. We, we put fruit to that desire. When we say we have a desire to God's word, we say that we're in it and we want to know more about it. Church, this is why we want to have a healthy diet of teaching and preaching the word of God here at Red Cross. Because we want you to gain a desire for the word as we go through it. We, we want to go verse by verse through books because we don't want to skip over passages. We want to show you how every passage is meaningful, evident, and relevant. We want that. 10, 15 years ago, there was this summer series that started coming out that was real big. Summer at the movies. Uh, churches would put it on. And, and, the, and the goal is to show a movie clip and then show Christ in that movie clip and then show how the scripture makes that movie clip evident. I hate that. I, I don't want to know how Steven Spielberg or what Steven Spielberg says about Jesus in his movie E.T. or whatever. I, I don't, I don't want to know what J.J. Abrams has to say about Jesus in the Star Trek trilogy. I, I, I don't care. I want to know what God says through his word in scripture about Christ. Show me truth in scripture. Let's stop wasting our time on worldly things and trying to show Christ in the world when God has given us his word and we need to show Christ through it. Don't get me wrong. I love movies. And one thing that I, I will do is I will try to catch certain illustrations in movies that will help make the truth of God a little more evident. But the thing is, is we don't need that when we've got scripture. We need a desire for the word of God. One, one, one commentary that I, I consulted this week gave me the illustration of John Broadus. Do you know who John Broadus is? John Broadus is a founder of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Seminary I go to, and I'm proud of it. I love this school. John Broadus is one of the founders. And it is said that just nine days before John Broadus died, he gave a lecture to some of his students on preaching. And he tells them this. This is, this is what he says. Gentlemen, if this were the last time I should ever be permitted to address you, I would feel amply repaid for consuming the whole hour, the whole time, endeavoring to impress upon you these two things. True piety and like Apollos, 
to be men mighty in these scriptures. Church, we as disciples need to be mighty in these scriptures. We need to know what this word says. And we can do that with a humble attitude. We can do that coming to the word and understanding that, that we are incompetent to, to fully understand what this says. But through the spirit, through preaching, through good sources, we can become mighty in these scriptures. So church, we must have a desire for the word of God. Apollos had a desire for the word of God because he knew that from it, he received the truth for all of life. He knew from the word was the truth of the gospel, the truth of the promises God has for us. He knew that there was nothing else more important than spending time in God's word. And church, we need to get back to that. We do. We need to get back to a healthy attitude of understanding that we need to be in this book daily. And understand that this desire comes solely from Christ. We cannot come up with this desire on our own. Christ gives us that desire. And that desire is for Christ as our Lord and Savior. To want to know him more. When I've had a bad week, there's nothing better than finding promises in the word of God that calms my anxieties. Promises in the word of God that remind me that I am better than I deserve. Right, Letta? Promises in the word of God that show me that he is good. And I am not. <laughs> we need a desire for the word. Apollos, Apollos had it. We need it. That's the first characteristic. But not only should we have the desire for the word. Secondly, we should have a spiritual fervor. A spiritual fervor. That's what the, the, the scripture tells us in verse 25. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit... He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Church, we need a spiritual fervor. We need a spiritual passion, an excitement for the word of God. Not, not this planned and type of excitement that we get. I mean an excitement that comes from being in the word of God. A passion that comes from being with Christ. Church, I have no doubt that Apollos' spiritual fervor came from his time in God's word and being instructed in God's word. That's where it came from. I think of Moses. Moses, whenever he would go up the mountain to go spend time with God, he would come back down the mountain and his face shone brightly. Y'all remember that in the Old Testament? He, he, his face would shine because the glory of God was, it was like that, that divine suntan that he had coming down the mountain. And Moses would, would, would cover his face up because he didn't want to lose it. He wanted to keep it as much as possible. Church, people know, people know if we've spent time with Christ. Because there's something different about us. It's evident in the way that we talk, in the way that we live, in the way that we act, and in the way that we react. People know that we've spent time with Christ. We need that spiritual fervor. The world needs to see that. Jonathan Edwards wrote a really good book called The Religious Affections. And he says in this book, he says, As there is no true religion where there is nothing else but affection, 
So there is no true religion where there is no religious affection. Listen to what he says here. If the great things of religion are rightly understood, they will affect the heart. If we truly understand the glories of God and the glories of the gospel, it will affect our heart. It will affect our spiritual fervor, our passion. It will affect how we, how we live and act. When we look at this word and we're reminded of the fact that we are wretched in our sins, dead in our sins, in need of salvation, and there's nothing we can do. Nothing. Your church attendance doesn't save you. Your church attendance doesn't save you. The way you give your money doesn't save you. The way you love and serve other people doesn't save you. Your actions do not save you. But when we are reminded of the truth of the gospel, that it is only through the works of Christ that we can be saved and that it is only by faith alone, through grace alone. I said that wrong. By grace alone, through faith alone, that we can be saved. That is good for us. We get passionate about that. We get fired up for that. And we need to be a people on fire for the gospel. You want to know why? Pastor once said that a, a, a preacher who is on fire for the word, people will come and watch him burn. I believe that is solely true for the believer. When people know that you're on fire for the word, they want to watch you burn. They want to see it. I love spending time with people. And there are people in this room that I spend time with. And when I leave the company of them, I leave wanting to know Christ more. Because I want what they have. I've got friends where if I have coffee with them and, and I leave that coffee conversation, I want what they have. I want to know Christ like they do. Because they seem to know Jesus better than I do. Church, we need that spiritual fervor. And we get that, we get that by spending time in God's word, by spending time resting in his grace and being reminded of the fact that it is not on you, it's not on your strength, it is all on him. Apollos, who was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. We need that. That was characteristic number two. Not only do we need a spiritual fervor. Number three, we need a teachable heart. We need a teachable heart. Look at verse 26. He, Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, there's a lot of debate here. About was Apollos saved? Was he not saved? Did Priscilla and Aquila have to show him the truth of the gospel? What happened here? I believe, and, and, and many sources will back me up, I believe that Apollos was saved as he was proclaiming in the synagogue. Because if he wasn't, how is it that he was able to speak and teach accurately the things concerning Jesus? How was it that he was able to have this fervent spirit? He's been instructed in the way of the Lord. But verse 25 tells us that he knew only the baptism of John. 
only the baptism of John. What does that mean? It means that he was not made aware of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What happened at Pentecost at the beginning of the book of Acts? When the Spirit comes and rested on the people. He was not made aware of that yet. So Priscilla and, a, and, 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 and Aquila, they sat him down privately and they taught him about the way of God more accurately. Here's a couple things we need to see with this. One, they took him privately to the side. This was not a public rebuke. This was not a type of humiliation towards Apollos. They loved what Apollos was, was, was doing and saying. They just wanted to show him more accurately the things of God. So they take him to the side. They showed hospitality to him. More than likely, they, they took him to where they were staying at. Probably had a, had a meal and they talked about Christ. I love those times. Do you like those times? You sit down with people, you talk about Jesus. But it's not always a good time when you're sitting down and being corrected. Sometimes that, that's hard. Church, we need to have a teachable heart. We need to be a people that, is, that, that are willing to humbly sit down and be taught correctly. Church, I, I need to have a teachable heart as your pastor. You can ask some of the guys in here that I lean on to make sure I'm teaching and preaching correctly. There are times I'm going to say something that's going to be questionable. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm not a perfect pastor. I am not a perfect preacher. I'm reminded of, um, well, I don't want to talk about that yet. I'm going to save that. I went and did my undergrad at a couple of schools um, that were under the guise of being Christian. Okay. They were not, in my opinion, Christian. I went there and I thought that by going there, I was going to have a healthy teaching of God's word. I thought I was going to open up my Bible and be taught what this means. Instead, we rarely opened our Bibles and I was taught how to question the things in this book. I was taught to question the validity of this book, the the inerrancy of this book, the sufficiency of this book. And boy, I left school many days very angry and frustrated because it was not what I wanted. Thankfully, today I am I'm at a good seminary. I'm being taught at South at Southern, not Southeastern, Southern Baptist the- Theological Seminary. And I'm thankful for that. Because we need people who are going to be taught rightly the word of God. Not to be taught that it is questionable or that there are errors because this book is inerrant. It is authoritative. It is fully sufficient. Church, we need to have a teachable heart. We need that humility when it comes to theology, when it comes to God's word, when it comes to ministry and when it comes to church. We need that humility because we should never come thinking that we should teach but never be taught. There are people, none in this church, I'm sure, who think that as church members that they know more than the pastor does. That may be true. (laughs) May be true. But that's also pride. And it's pride on my part if I feel like I know more than you do. That's pride. 
And if we want to be disciples of Christ who encourage other disciples of Christ, who encourage each other, we need a humble and teachable heart. We need that kind of heart that it takes to come to Christ and to die to our sin daily. We need the kind of heart to where we know that we, that we don't know. <laughs> we don't have all the answers. Apollos doesn't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. But my goal as a pastor and a preacher is to point you to the one who does. That's what I want. So not only do we need a teachable heart, number four, we see through Apollos that we need a powerful conviction. Priscilla and Aquila set him down and they teach him. And boy, he gets fired up. He humbly receives it. He grows in it. And in verse 27, it says, And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. You know where Apollos is, is, is going? You know what's in Achaia? Corinth. This is where Apollos heads to Corinth. This is where we see in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, where Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Apollos has a conviction here, a powerful conviction that the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth sharing to the world. And he's ready to go travel and let people know the truth of God's word with a humble heart, a fervent spirit, and a mastery of the scriptures. He, he wants to go out and share who Jesus is. Church, we need that powerful conviction. We need the same conviction that Apollos has. And this conviction only comes from Christ. He has come to know Christ. He has been transformed by Christ. He is, he is growing in the word of Christ. And now he wants to go share Christ. Church, if we want to be a church who are disciples that make disciples, we need to be a church with a powerful conviction on the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing else worth more sharing than the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of our money, all of our efforts, everything we do should be to get the gospel out. To proclaim this. People are dying daily without the gospel. Who's going to go tell them? Romans 10 tells us, how are they to hear if no one tells them? Beautiful are the feet of those who share the gospel. Church, we need that powerful conviction. It says here that Apollos, when he goes there, he greatly helps those who through grace believed. Through grace, not through works, through the grace of God. This is where we see grace alone saves. And Apollos is a great help. Why? Verse 28, he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Church, he's... He's broken over the lost. He has a heart that knows people need Jesus. And he has a heart 
that knows that the church needs to be strengthened. How do we strengthen the church? By preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. We forget it weekly. This is why Sundays, we remind you weekly. Spurgeon was only 18 years old when he began pastoring his first church. When I was 18, I was not in any place to pastor. I don't even know if I was a Christian when I was 18. My life was not bearing that kind of fruit. But Spurgeon was pastoring a church when he was 18. A small church in Water Beach, which was about five miles outside of Cambridge. He was criticized for being so young. There were pastors that, that, that would say something along the lines of, I thought men who aspired to be pastors would, would wait until there was hair on their chin before they'd start preaching. We all know Spurgeon ended up with a great beard. Great beard. But at that time, he was 18, guys. Criticized. He knew he didn't have all the answers. He knew that, 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 that he was not to put himself above other pastors by, 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 by thinking that he was better. Instead, he persevered through the criticism. He persevered and understood that he was being faithful where God had placed him through his conviction of preaching the gospel. And sure enough, church, if you know church history, God used him. It was at one of those meetings. It was, it was a Sunday school meeting, a community Sunday school meeting, where one of the pastors had criticized him, cracking jokes about him not having a beard and being too young. It was in that Sunday school meeting that somebody heard him preach who was a part of the um, New Park Street pulpit which was the church that he went to go pastor that turned into the Metropolitan Tabernacle. The church where it grew thousands upon thousands upon thousands. God used a man like Spurgeon. And in my opinion, God used him to become the world's greatest preacher. Church, God will use us. God will use you despite your age. God will use you despite your circumstance. God will use you despite where you live because God's using you at this very moment where you work, who you live with, where you go to school at, where you travel, even where you grocery shop. God is going to use you. Church, we must be disciples who seek to encourage and strengthen other disciples. How do we do that? We do that by growing in Christ, by having a desire for his word, a fervent spirit, a teachable heart, and a powerful conviction. Why? Because the gospel is worth it. Jesus is worth it. I pray he's worth it to you this morning. There may be an area that we mentioned this morning that you need to grow in. An area that maybe you need to repent of. Maybe, maybe it's time to dust off those Bibles. Spurgeon once said that there's, a, there's enough dust on some of your Bibles to write damnation on it. Maybe you need to dust off those Bibles. Maybe you need to grow in his word. Maybe, maybe you need to have a spiritual fervor. 
that passion that only comes by being with Christ. Maybe, maybe you need a teachable heart. Maybe you need a powerful conviction. Whatever that is, come to Christ and ask for it. He'll give it. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's how it starts. You cannot expect to make disciples unless you are one first. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in the works that only he has provided to save us from our sins? I pray you have. If you haven't, will you come talk to me? Let's get that right. Let's talk about that. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. And God, I pray that you would use us as you have used Apollos. I pray, God, that we would have the characteristics of a a disciple that Apollos has. The characteristic of having a desire for, for your word. To be fervent in spirit. A desire to have a teachable heart. And a powerful conviction. God, help us to be those things. Help us to see that through your grace. That these things don't save us. That our rest is solely in you. But it is through your work in our lives. That these things are evident. So God use us to be disciples. Who make disciples. Who encourage believers. Who strengthen other people. Help us God to have a heart of Christ. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.